In Country, a podcast covering Marvel Comics' The Nom, presents First Blood. Welcome to episode 75 of In Country, a podcast that is taking a complete look at the Marvel Comics series, The Nom, which is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries, and today I'm taking a break from my usual coverage of the comic to cover yet another Vietnam War movie. Uh, This time around, instead of covering one from the 70s, and I'm going for one from the 80s, and going for one that uh, is not usually mentioned in the list of, of, I think, Vietnam War movies people go to, but I, in my opinion, anyway, I think it's an important movie. It is, it is. First Blood, starring Sylvester Stallone, We're, and uh, I'm also going to talk a little bit about its sequel, Rambo, First Blood Part 2, but I'm not alone. Um, this time around, I have someone who I've podcasted before over on uh, Pop Culture Affidavit uh, about war comics. You can check that episode out. It was really, really fun to do. Uh, and he is a, a fellow New York expatriate and a fellow action movie fan. Please welcome Mr. Luke Giaconetti to the show. How you doing, Luke? I am doing great, Tom. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, I think we uh, we first talked about covering First Blood. Um, I think you were still in the teens. On, <laughs> I on think so. <laughs> but... Uh, I'm glad we finally get an opportunity uh, to sit down and discuss this film tonight. Yeah, yeah, and this is a movie that um, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this when we, we when we talk about Rambo later on. But this is a movie that kind of got overshadowed by its sequel, and um, I guess I don't want to say like buried because it it made a lot of money, but oh. but yeah, it's it's not as. Um, it's not as well known or thought of when you go to like Vietnam movies as you would say, I don't know, Platoon, Full Metal Jacket, Apocalypse Now, The Deer Hunter, you know, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. It, you know, I, and granted, I'm I'm talking off the top of my head here, so but it's like I don't. Well, I, you know, uh, the thing with First Blood is that it it is definitely a film about the Vietnam War, but it's one that mm-hmm. does not take place at all in Vietnam. Yes. And even the Deer Hunter, which deals primarily with the relationships of these men at home and then when they go to the war and then afterwards, mm-hmm. a, you know, a good chunk of it, a th- at least a third of that film takes place in Vietnam. Yeah. Even a lot of the emotional stuff takes place after the war. Mm-hmm. Uh, but whereas First Blood takes place entirely in this one small town in, um, you know, in, in Hope, Washington. Out in the in the, uh, the you know, in the Pacific uh, Pacific Northwest, yeah, and deals a lot with Vietnam, and a lot of people talk about Vietnam, but doesn't take like I said, doesn't actually. All we get to see are a few flashbacks to Rambo being tortured by the Viet Cong, mm-hmm. and that's about it. So I think people, like you said, it, it gets overlooked when we talk about Vietnam movies because, and as as and again, and and you think I think Tom, you hit the nail on the head that it's been overshadowed somewhat by Rambo: First Blood Part Two, 
Yeah. I don't I don't think a lot of viewers necessarily remember that this film had something to say about Vietnam. Yeah. And, and uh, a, a smash up, you know. Yeah, yeah. And this is a movie that um has a has a very interesting history to it before I even get to the plot. Um it is based on a novel by David Morell which came out in the early 1970s. I believe it was 71 or 72. And it was optioned in 1972, and I went on as I do a lot of movies I watch because I'm a I'm a nerd for these sort of things. Um, I like going on the Internet Movie Database trivia page and and reading any bits and pieces of information about it. And, and I was I was looking stuff up about this uh, while I was watching it. It it took about ten years to make because this is a movie that was essentially rescued from development hell. Um, at one point or another. It had various directors and actors attached to it or considered for it. And, and, and as you go through the page, um, it has – I'm not kidding. Um, among actors reportedly offered roles in the movie or considered for roles as they were trying to make deals to get this made, Al Pacino, Chuck Norris, Steve McQueen, Chris Christopherson, Dustin Hoffman, James Garner, Clint Eastwood – Robert De Niro, Paul Newman, Jeff Bridges, Michael Douglas, Nick Nolte, Ryan O'Neill, and even John Travolta. So it went through all those people before it got to Stallone. Right. And then Stallone got it, and um, it was produced by Mario Kassar and Andrew Vajna. Uh, it was distributed by Orion, and Kassar and Vajna are known for uh, – what was known as Karolko. I think they were with Karolko and Orion back in the, back in the eighties. They are essentially the more successful and classier version of Golden and Globus. Golden because, Globus right. yeah, yeah. Cause Golden, Golden, it, it, Golden Globus is just, just pumped out. I mean, and, and Rob Kelly's been doing a fantastic job over the fired, uh, film and water podcast with them just pumped out B movie after B movie. And, and, and I have a soft spot in my heart for them, but, but Mario Kassar and Andrew Vagino were attached to Stallone and Schwarzenegger and a number of um, very successful movies throughout the eighties and early nineties. Um, and they Stallone um, took what was a very kind of messy script, trimmed it down, took what apparently was a three hour cut of the movie and hated it and had them trim out a lot of his part and trimmed it down to about 90 minutes. And then you have what you have here. And it proved to be a really good idea because the movie, um, which went over budget, it was budgeted 11 million. It went over budget by six more million. So $17 million made $47.2 million in 1982, which was at the time enough to get it to be number six at the box office that year. 1.5 more than Firefox mm-hmm. and 76.9 million less than what was at a number four, which was the other Stallone movie coming out that year, which was Rocky three. Yeah. Uh, the, the number one movie of 1982, of course, was E.T., the extraterrestrial at 359 million total uh, over its lifetime. But uh, I, I've read and I've read this more than one place that Stallone and a couple of other people credit this with helping to actually save Stallone's career because prior to this, He'd not had a successful movie that wasn't part of the Rocky franchise. And this kept him on Hollywood's radar as a viable actor and not just, you know, in the one role. Well, the interesting thing about about kind of the, the genesis of First Blood as a film, mm-hmm. I think even goes back to the genesis of it as a book. 
because uh, on my DVD, I've got the the DVD set. It's not a set. It was just three separate releases. Mm -hmm. And I want to say 2003. And they're odd because they're all two-disc sets. But it's not not a two-disc set like it's the film and then a bunch of special features. It's actually just the film in widescreen on one disc and then the film in... Uh, Ah, yes. But they do have a uh, a 20-minute, 22-minute featurette. And they talked to David Morrell, and they talked to um, you know a lot of the other principals. And Morrell talks about mm-hmm. that he was teaching at the time in well, I think nineteen seventy seventy one, and he said they had he had kids coming back from war that refused to accept him as an authority figure because they had just come back from the war and they knew you know all the stuff that they had gone through. And here's this old guy in a tweed jacket, and they that they couldn't take seriously. So that started him to research what was then the very early research into, uh, you know, what we now commonly know as post-traumatic stress syndrome. Yes. And so that, that was kind of, you know, breaking new ground in the early seventies. We, that wasn't what it's known to be today. Mm-hmm. And as, and as you've talked about here on the show, coupled with the response that a lot of, uh, you know, the soldiers coming home would receive, you know, the kind of, uh, the, the welcome, so to speak, that they would get at the airport as they came back. You know, that and that that was what kind of inspired him to do this research and what led to First Blood. And then Stallone also talks about that. He said that when he came in, um, they had talked to him about doing it and nobody wanted nobody wanted to actually shoot this film. And nobody wanted to star in it because it was thought that this is just a cursed production, it's gonna be in turnaround forever and, and whatnot. Yeah. But so they brought him in because they said, Well, you know, uh, he had done such a good job with Rocky, maybe he can at least punch the script up and tighten it up. And so Stallone, and again in this in this uh, special feature uh, documentary, he said that you know early on he he really supported the war and he was very much for it. He said, but by the end of it, uh, it you know the the situation had changed and the war became kind of an untenable situation. Mm-hmm. And then his sympathy really went to uh, you know the soldiers that had to come home and they were just doing as they had to do what their orders were. Yeah, that they had gotten a raw deal. And so he, there was a lot, I, I think one of the reasons that this film is, uh, hold, it holds together so well for a very tight little film, like I said, it's only, I think, 92 minutes. Yeah. That's with the, the opening credits and end credits and all that, uh, that I think Stallone really brought a lot of uh, uh, sincerity to it. I think he really believed in a lot of what, uh, you know, he's trying to say and what, what we're being, you know, what we're learning through Rambo's eyes. And I think David Morrell had that as well, I think, as he understood it kind of not firsthand, but I think he knew it directly from the the, uh, the students he was working with that were coming back from Vietnam. So it has a lot of sincerity to it, has a lot of honesty, but it lacks in some ways, I think, the I don't know, the the I don't I, don't, I hesitate to say anti-American, but certainly anti-establishment, very cynical attitude that some of the more well-regarded Vietnam films have. Mm-hmm. Uh, ultimately, this is a message about, uh, you know, that, that, you know, I mean, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here because we're going to talk about this, but ultimately this has a positive ending instead it, of a negative ending, which most of the, the, uh, the more well-regarded Vietnam films tend to have. It's, it's very much grounded in its own humanity in a way that, that transcends a lot of the, uh, it almost transcends a lot of the politics that surrounded the the war because it's about and and, and it, it remained topical in 1982 because you had a a problem 
in the country with a number of, of veterans, especially of the Vietnam War, who were suffering from what what eventually they would come to call PTSD and then you know and then rename post traumatic stress syndrome and I think back in the day they used to call shell shock or, or whatever they would but there were they were a lot of them were suffering from mental illness and a lot of them were homeless and um, you hear that sentiment in uh, and I, I talked about this song uh, God a, a number of episodes ago but in like Born in the USA right and and this sort of um, that that line Springsteen has about nowhere to run nowhere to go and 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 there's very much that in here where he's looking at the more human toll and um, taking it from almost like a, it's, it, it's obviously touching on the war as hell universal theme, but doing it in a way that's different than say platoon was where it was, here's this wide eyed, innocent kid who was being just essentially destroyed by the war, you know, that, that, that sort of angle. Um, but yeah, so uh, let me get into the, the the plot and the cast, and and then we'll then we'll talk a little bit more about about what what this movie is about. John Rambo, a drifter, just passing through their town. Morning. Headed north or south? North. Now jump in. I'll make sure you're heading the right direction. You got some place I can eat around here? There's a diner about 30 miles up the highway. Is there any law against me getting something here? Yeah, me. I want you to book this gentleman for vagrancy, resisting arrest, carrying a concealed weapon. They knew he was innocent. Starting to dislike you. A lot. And they didn't give a damn. That's okay, Warren. Don't worry about the soap. He's tough. Just save him. Right. Don't move. I don't want you to cut your own throat. John Rambo. One man who's been pushed too far. You're finished! You've gone as far as you're gonna go! Headed straight for the top. <laughs> right on top. There's no way out of here except through us. He was hunted. Trapped. There he is! On the cliff! to fight back. Don't push it. Don't push it, I'll give you a war you won't believe. Teasel, you and all your men couldn't handle him before. Now, what makes you think you can handle him now? Because God knows what damage he's prepared to do. You don't seem to want to accept the fact that you're dealing with an expert in guerrilla warfare. Are you telling me that 200 men against your boy is a no-win situation for us? You send that money, don't forget one thing. A good supply of body bags. Sylvester Stallone. This time, he's fighting for his life. First blood. Uh, there are a number of people in the movie, um, but the, the three people you really do focus on throughout our Sylvester Stallone who plays John Rambo an ex uh ex special forces uh soldier who was who was in the Vietnam War uh he starts out walking through uh the Pacific Northwest he he visits the home in the very like right around the opening credits he visits the home of a 
of a fellow soldier, a, a one of the guys in his unit and finds out that, you know, he's dead. And then he moves on and, and moves on to this town of Hope, Washington and runs afoul of, uh, Sheriff Teasel, who is played by Brian Dennehy. Uh, Dennehy doesn't really basically sees Stallone, sees Rambo as a drifter and he doesn't want his kind in his small town and kindly escorts him out of the town and drops him off. And this clicks something in Rambo who, does not like the way authorities treated him. He goes back into the town and is then thrown in jail. Uh, Rambo eventually escapes from jail. He flees into the the forest and the mountains surrounding the town. And most of the movie is Teasel and the police force. And then eventually the national guard hunting Rambo and Rambo. Well, sort of hunting them back and it escalates to the point where when they fail to cap- capture him and the National Guard is called and he goes back into the town and begins an all-out assault on it, especially on the police station and uh, he is finally stopped when they bring in Colonel Troutman who was, uh, he was played by Richard Crenna, who was Rambo's CO and uh, he more or less talks Rambo down and the movie ends with Rambo being arrested. Um, and uh, after giving a uh, a long speech about what you actually were just talking about, how he came home and there was nobody there. There was nobody there and he was essentially spat on. And, and, and where is the, uh, you know, where is the affection? Where is the, the gratefulness? Where is, you know, where is even the recognition of, uh, of us? It's over, Johnny. It's over! Nothing is over! Nothing! You just don't turn it off! It wasn't my war! You asked me, I didn't ask you! And I did what I had to do to win, but somebody wouldn't let us win! And I come back to the world, and I see all those maggots at the airport, protesting me, spitting, calling me baby killer and all kinds of vile crap! Who are they to protest me, huh? Who are they? Unless they've been me and been there and know what the hell they're yelling about! It was a bad time for everyone, Rambo. It's all in the past now. For you! For me, civilian life is nothing. In the field, we had a code of honor. You watch my back, I watch yours. Back here, there's nothing. You're the last of an elite group. Don't end it like this. Back there, I could fly a gunship. I could drive a tank. I was in charge of million-dollar equipment. Back here, I can't even hold a job. Fucking guys! Fucking... Ah! <laughs> Oh, God. Where's everybody? God, I, I, I had a friend who was there for us. I had all these guys, man. Back there, I had all these fucking guys. Who were my friends? Because back here, there's nothing. Remember Dan Forrest? What is blackhead man? I took one of those magic markers and I said it found. He mailed us to Las Vegas because we we're always talking about Vegas and this fucking car. This uh, red 58 Chevy convertible. He's talking about this car. He said we're gonna cruise till the tires fall off. We're in this bar in Saigon and this kid comes up. This kid carrying a sushi shine box. And he says, uh, shine, please, shine. I said, no, he kept asking, yeah. And Joey said, yeah. And I went to get a couple of beers. 
and the, the box is wired, and he opened up the box, fucking blew his body all over the place. He's laying there, he's fucking screaming, there's pieces of him all over me, just like fucking pieces, like this, and I'm trying to pull him off, you know, and it's, it's my friend that's all over me. He's got blood and everything, and I'm trying to hold him together, I put him together, his fucking insides keep coming out, and nobody would help. Nobody would help, and say, please, I want to go home, I want to go home, he keeps calling my leg, I want to go home, Johnny, I want to drop my chubby, I said, well, what, I can't find your fucking legs. I can't find your legs. Seven years. Every day I Sometimes I wake up and I don't talk to anybody. Sometimes a day. Last week. I can't put it out of my And it, it's a very simple plot. I, I think I summed it up in probably under a couple of minutes. But again, like you said, it's a tight 92-minute movie. I first saw this probably when I was a kid, and I want to say WPIX just ran it and reran it and reran it because they have the rights to it, and Rambo was really, really popular at the time. So I think – it's been an, it's been a number of years since I sat down and watched it, and in its unedited form. <laughs> uh, when did you first come across this? See, I'm I'm pretty sure, being born in 1980, that I probably saw First Blood Part Two before I saw First Blood. I know for a fact I saw Rambo first. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I remember I remember First Blood Part Two a lot more. I, mm-hmm. I want to say that um, that I probably watched this on my dad. I'm sure had it on tape. Because as 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 we as I've talked about in other shows, my dad was an early VHS adopter, and so mm-hmm. we we had stuff on tape, you know. So I'm pretty sure that we just sat down. Dad said, "Oh, we're going to watch this," and we sat down and watched it one night. But uh, you know, so so it always kind of stuck with me as one of those things where you see the sequel before you see the first one. I was yeah. I was the same way with Aliens. I saw Aliens before I saw Alien. Me too. But I saw Aliens when I was six in the movie theater. Oh so shit. <laughs> Yeah, that that was before the summer that I saw Predator and RoboCop when I, right around my seventh birthday in the theater. But that's a that's a story for another time. But yeah, this was one I I never remember seeing this as much as as First Blood Part Two or, or even as we got into the '90s when USA would show Rambo Three all the damn time. But I always remember liking it because I, I remember that you know uh, that you know Brian Dennehy just plays a jackass so well. Oh yeah. And you just want him to get his, and uh, and I like Richard Crenna and anything, but unfortunately, this is what everybody my age knows <laughs> Richard Crenna as. That's Colonel Troutman, you know? yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> and he's really not. And the funny thing is, is that I, like I said, I hadn't seen this movie in at least a good twenty to twenty five years, and I I had forgotten Denny he was in the movie, and Crenna's really not in the movie that much. No. And and but like I associate him with the movie more than I associate Brian Dennehy. But in Brian Dennehy, um, I, there were two things I noticed about the performances. One, people forget that Sylvester Stallone can act, mm-hmm. and because Stallone, I mean, Stallone is not a subtle man. This is subtle for Stallone. You know, he he can do this sort of slow burn, like really doesn't have that many lines but it's he's not he it's not like he doesn't have that many lines cuz he's stupid he's just 
it's that sort of intensity that he bring that he brings to this, and uh, he does it very well. And then Dennehy, Dennehy could have gone completely over the top with this. Yeah, this sort of he could have been. <laughs> He could have been Jackie Gleason from the Cannonball Run movies easily, you know, but he doesn't. That's what something I, I noticed almost right away about him. And Morell's novel is a lot more bloody. Um, in this film, uh, Rambo actually doesn't kill a single person in the manhunt. There is one police officer who dies, uh, but he dies based on his own carelessness. He was uh, a sharpshooter who was standing on the outside of a helicopter that was is that was hovering he was trying to shoot rambo he undid his harness so he could get a better shot and then when the well, i think rambo hit the chopper with something or whatever he throws a rock and it yeah. hits the windscreen on the chopper and so the guy pulls back on the stick and it's galt is uh, the name of the yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. falls out and he falls below onto the rocks and is killed. Yeah, and and Galt was one of the more sadistic police officers when they were interrogating him anyway, so you don't feel any – now you feel good that a cop got killed, but it was almost like you know it, it, it fit things. But in the book, he literally kills his way out of the police station, and uh, it it – Instead of escalating to a point where there's a showdown in the police station and then and then um, Troutman helps him get taken alive, and he and Denny and he and Teasel are, are you know they're both going to live, it becomes suicide by cop in the novel and and Teasel and him and Teasel's character uh, the way the way Morell set up just just to briefly touch on the novel before we get back to the film which is what the majority of the episode is going to be about. Um, the way Morell does the novel was that one chapter, it's from a third person point of view, but one chapter is sympathetic to Rambo and the next will be sympathetic to Teasel. So we're getting it through their perspectives. And Teasel's an ex Korean war vet who has a lot of resentment toward Vietnam vets because he feels that Korea has been forgotten in the wake of all the attention paid to Vietnam, which at the time Morell was writing the novel was an enormous amount of attention because it was. You know, we were this war was still going on, and uh, he and Teasel basically kill each other, um, and uh, and that's how the the novel ends. Um, the movie plays Rambo not as the hero. I guess he's kind of an anti-hero, but he's he's you're definitely he's definitely more sympathetic. Had he had he killed his way in and out of things, I don't think it would, it would have certainly been tragic, but. Um, some of the early scripts of First Blood included that, and one—I mm-hmm. um, forget—I think it might have been—it might have been, uh, uh, it might have been uh, Ted Kotcheff who said it, Ted, uh, who's the director. Director, yeah. Said that one of the early scripts he killed he, that Rambo killed, I think, eighteen people. He said at one point it's just target practice after a while for him, you know. Yeah. And he's like, we're trying to make this guy. Yes, he's, and 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 this was even on on the news at the time. This was you know a, a local interest story. Is that this idea of a. Uh, you know we, that there had been anti-heroes, obviously through westerns and war films and all that. Mm-hmm. We had the anti-hero, but here was someone bringing the full brunt of his training as a essentially a killer against a, a domestic police force, an American doing this. So yeah, yes, and so it was. It was still one of Stallone's goals was said to soften it up because well, what if he doesn't kill anyone and shows that he has the skills to do it, but he's trying not to fight to the point that. Tra- Outman actually says, he goes, well, technically he screwed up because you're still alive. Yeah. Yeah. Troutman has some great lines because he can tell he doesn't give a shit. He just <laughs> yeah. shit's given zero. And Richard and Richard Crenna, 
he was a last minute replacement for Kirk Douglas. Yes. Douglas was cast ready to go and Douglas made a bunch of suggestions to the script including having Rambo die at the end which they said, "Well, look, we're, we we don't you don't have script approval, you know, where it's going to cost a lot of money to do these rewrites." And they said they finally just gave him the script and said, "Look, uh, you know, Mr. Douglas, you either either we're shooting the movie or we're not." And the next day he packed up and and left and so they they were scrambling and they called Richard Crenna on a Saturday. And uh, his agent said, uh, well, the good news is they want you to go to uh, to British Columbia, Columbia where this was shot to shoot First Blood. And he goes, okay. He goes, the bad news is we start on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> and he said they flew him up Monday morning, Monday night. He was shooting. <laughs> so he, he comes to that uh, that kind of attitude, honestly, you know. Yeah. And you wouldn't know it from the uh, – he, he fits that role really, really well. I could see Douglas – in this, but Krenna really does embody Troutman in, in a really, really good way. And, um, and in a way, having Richard Krenna rather than Kirk Douglas is, is it's one of those things where, you know, um, I mean, Stallone, yes, not, now he's a personality, but at the time, Stallone is still essentially a character actor. Mm-hmm. He's a type of guy. Dennehy is a character actor. You get Kirk Douglas in there, that, that, may, that has the potential to take you out of the story. Yeah. Whereas Richard Krenna... Yes, he was a well-known guy, did a lot of TV work, did a lot of work behind the camera. He's not he's not so it's not like, oh my god, Richard Crenna, you know? Yeah. He he fits in with the kind of the realism, the realistic approach to the film. And I think that having him there as as Troutman is is a big plus. Definitely, definitely. And um you know, this is Rambo's not a superhero in this movie in the way that that we would think of him later on in in certainly the sequel and then beyond that yeah. where where he comes to embody and we'll talk about the part two in a little while where he comes to embody what would be the big 80s action movie hero um which i i you can't give stallone 100 percent credit for you can't give that movie 100 percent credit for because it also came out of the same year as commando which is another movie that is essentially it is a it is a superhero esque action mm-hmm. flick. I mean, you know, it's <laughs> the the last twenty to thirty minutes of Commando are just you know amazing. You know, I mean, when I when I describe the scene when I describe the scene where he basically weapons up to my students. As you know, he he bull. I, I I literally describe it how Schwarzenegger bulldozes his way into an army surplus store, presses a button on a counter, a hidden wall opens up, and there's enough weapons to arm a small army. Or Arnold Schwarzenegger. The kids kind of look at me, and I'm like, "No, that's literally how that movie goes." Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> and and here Stallone is, like I said earlier, he's quiet, he's intense, and they have him. Uh, you know, he's the, the character is a special forces soldier, and so so he is resourceful, and they show him doing that. But like you said, Troutman is correct. He's like, you know, he's not doing it 100 percent correctly because you're still alive. Yeah. So there's definitely that humanity on Rambo's part where he doesn't want to do what he's doing, mm-hmm. and um, you can almost see it in him. 
he just he wants them as they're it doesn't become like he's trying to kill these guys because he's trying to take a stand against authority when he's out in the woods. He wants them to leave him alone. Yeah. And and that's something that from the very beginning of the film, you know, he's devastated by his I think that's why they put the scene at the beginning, which is not in the book about him visiting his friend and his friend's uh mother or wife or somebody says that you know he's dead. And uh and that just it doesn't send him over the edge, but it's brought up later and you can tell he's just he's just devastated by all of this. Yeah. And and unfortunately his grief is manifesting itself in this this showdown with uh with the man yeah essentially and and the thing that there was there was one line in this that it really stood out to me on this viewing when when teasel first rolls up uh in front of him and starts talking to him he says you know wearing that jacket with that flag on it you're asking for trouble Mm -hmm. and you want i mean you want to talk about just a night and day difference between you know, 1982 and today. Yeah. You know, you, can you imagine that? You know, say you're asking for trouble like that. I mean, I can. That's the problem. There are certain elements that that are, you know, uh, that have influence on campuses and in certain areas of this country today that would say that. But that's to me is astounding that they're, you know, it's like, well, you you know, you look like you're a like you're a, a veteran. You know, you're asking for trouble by being here. Yeah. You know, and then the, the other one that, that I've always I've always liked is uh you know Troutman says to uh Rambo on the radio he says we can't have you out here wasting friendly civilians because there are no friendly civilians you yeah know, it's 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 a certain bit of it's again and you talk about Stallone having a very kind of subtle performance for a lot of this when he does get to talk uh and and that that line is one of them because it holds a lot first off there's anger but there's also a lot of bitterness and resentment you know and and we don't know that necessarily about him yet because we haven't had his breakdown in the station, but mm-hmm. right there, that just said, I did it, that, that there are no friendly civilians. And then, you know, he even says it in at the end, he goes, I come back to the world and, and what do I get? I get these maggots at the airport calling me a baby killer. Yeah. You know, I, I did like that, that, uh, you know, they obviously, and I think that, I think that exact line is somewhere in the book too, about coming back to the world, showing that Morell and Stallone did their research on some lingo. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, and and you know what's funny is that they they never really talk about Teasel being a, a veteran, but there is it, it's it's a kind of a kind of a blink and you'll miss it thing when Teasel after they after the National Guard blows up the mine, which mm-hmm. is great because you got the Nat I ain't getting up there. Nope, I'm only doing this for the weekend. I'm yeah, sure. exactly. <laughs> Those they're such bumbling idiots too. The, the National Guardsmen they think they get him and they're all like celebrating, and then all of a sudden it's like oh crap. But when they think that Rambo is dead and Teasel goes into his office and sits down, we see behind him on the, the it's like second desk behind his desk, mm-hmm. there's a little plaque with, it, it looks like a, a silver, like a silver cross and it's a cut, there's, a, there's three medals. So it's yeah. clear that he was a veteran and he was a decorated veteran, but we never get anything more than that. We can infer from his age that it would have to be that he probably would have been too young for World War II and probably too old for Nam, so we can infer it's Korea. Korea yeah. We're never we're never told that. It, it's it's something that again you you probably may or you probably may not notice the first time because no attention is called to it. It's just a set dressing. But it's you know it, it does address it and say, okay, if, if you see it, you're like, okay, well this guy must know something about this if he was in the war enough to be decorated. 
Yeah, although you wonder if if the um, the time since then and and his aging and his ability to become pretty much top dog in a, in a small town police department, which is a pretty nice gig if you can get it. Yep, um, has clouded his uh, his judgment. You know, um, you know. There's often the and. You know, speaking from my own experience of encountering people, there's this, there's the, uh, one, there's a Korean vets do often refer to that war as the forgotten war. Right. Uh, because World War II, uh, for obvious reasons, you know, is, is very well known and, and the vets for, for, for obvious and, uh, and appropriate reasons are very celebrated. Vietnam became this, thing beyond just the war because of all of the, you know, the, the turmoil within, uh, within the country, uh, you know, as a result in the anti-war movement and, and the, you know, for various reasons, the Korea did kind of get caught in the middle. And, uh, but you, you have to know a lot of the context in order to understand that. Like I said, the book is fleshed out a little bit more. Um, but Dennehy does not come off as the podunk redneck sheriff trying to kick that riffraff out of his town because like you said today there there are certain elements who look down upon veterans the same way but there's also certain elements who look down upon um you know the homeless and you know and uh you know people who you know veterans are not uh i could see this happening with somebody who is essentially what i can't see a, a drifter escaping from a police department and trying to take out an entire national guard but that initial confrontation between Dennehy and stallone or teasel and rambo i can see that happening with a yeah. small town sheriff and a homeless guy who's wandering through town it's like hey we don't want any trouble let me escort you to outside of town so you can keep walking sir you know in other words this is your warning and he comes back and he throws him in jail. I can totally see that happening nowadays, especially in a yeah. small town like that. Oh yeah, totally. Um, of course, you know, but being being a, a movie, you know, things <laughs> spiral a bit out of control. Yeah, it escalates a little like, quick. <laughs> I, I love the local media when they mm-hmm. when um, the the news anchor doing his his uh, his not the anchor but the news reporter doing yeah. his his broadcast, and he says that uh, you know that that Rambo. Uh, Allegedly killed a, a sheriff's deputy and then attempted mm-hmm. to kill six more. And only their skill, training, and in police enforcement techniques saved their lives. <laughs> wow! <laughs> Just no. You know, even back then, the media was screwed, screwing up, screwing it up. And and um, expert listeners to various two true freaks intros and promos will spot the line: "He killed the police officer for Christ's sakes." <laughs> comes from this movie, and I had forgotten that. And I'm watching that. I was like, "Hey!" <laughs> and now, together by live simulation via the internet, your hosts. Scott Gardner. He killed a police officer for Christ's sake. Yeah, God damn lucky he didn't kill all of you. Damn lucky he didn't kill all of you. Exactly. Um, that's, that's, and then that's, that's Troutman. It's like, well, you gotta, you gotta remember one thing. What's that? A whole bunch of body bags. <laughs> you, get the feeling that, you get the feeling that Troutman, if he was 20 years younger, probably was John Rambo, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but now he's, he's hung around long enough. They've put enough... Uh, 
enough uh, stripes on his sleeve that he's a he's a colonel and now he doesn't get to kick as much ass as he wants yeah to. he just he just trains these guys and i want to say that it was on one of the um the commentaries or an interview with stallone that stallone views troutman uh and rambo as uh he he points out a similarity to the sort of Frankenstein's monster trope of where Troutman is brought in and, and not that he regrets Rambo because you can kind of tell that he's a little bit proud mm-hmm. of his creation, but he knows he has to talk him down kind of like, you know, this is, this is a little out of control. But even then, um, and this is something that I've always noticed about this movie, especially uh, considering other action films of the decade the action is very well paced. It's very realistic. You know, he's not, he, he is a one man army, but he's a one man army. Like he said, he's resourceful. The stunts performed are, 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 you know, very well done. And he, he comes when he, he, the weapons he ends up using, he comes across because he steals this or he takes that or he commandeers that. Uh, there's a couple of stunts that don't work as much. The motorcycle chase, that when he's on the the moped or whatever it is going out of town, and there's one point where he jumps, and you can clearly see the ramp, mm-hmm. um, but it's kind of like you know you let it go. And then, well, the it, the motorcycle jump doesn't take me out of it as much as the police car doing the exact same jump. Yes, it's, yes. How, how much of a straightaway did he have? To get <laughs> this this gigantic crown Vic moving fast enough. I don't think that works, but you know what? I'm willing to give it a pass because in, what I do like about that chase is that, you know, it, it, a lot of times you get car chases where, it, it, you know, it, things just don't make sense. You know, they're <laughs> going places that just don't work. Whereas here, Rambo's trying to get off the road. He's trying to go into mm-hmm. areas that he can get with the bike that Teasel can't follow him in the car. And when Teasel does try to take an impassable thing, he flips over the car. Yeah. But then Rambo is faced the exact same thing as he finds the incline that he can't get up and he flips the bike out from under underneath himself. And it's like, yeah. OK, you know, it's he's he's there comes a point where especially where they are in uh, on in Washington, where, you know, you get into these areas of mountainous terrain where, yeah, you're not going to be able to do that. You know, they instead of instead of just like you see this sometimes in a film where it's like, okay, the chase is over. I'm just going to abandon my bike and start running now or whatever it is. You know, mm-hmm. they at least had the, gave us a, a plausible explanation for the chase to end. Uh, yeah. The, the, the one stunt that always kind of stood out for me is, uh, besides the, um, any, I, I, I'm a, I like helicopters. So any scenes with helicopters always kind of stand out, but Rambo holding on to the, the, the cliff face. Yeah. Jumping onto the tree. Yeah. And Stallone talks about how they got it. They got it on the first take. The one they use is from the first take, but they shot two more takes just to make sure. And then he said, hey, guys, you know, I'd really not like to do this again if we got it. And they said, we'll do one more. And he said, apparently that was the mistake because on the fourth take, he break he breaks his wrist Ugh. and he and he uh, I think he bruised his spleen. And he said it was the first of numerous trips to the emergency room <laughs> while shooting first blood. <laughs> And that's so such a goes down that tree. I mean, it looks like it hurts. Yeah, hitting every branch. Yeah, and th- this is something also that that a lot of action movies from later in the decade, with the exception of probably Die Hard, um, don't follow. Where where the stunts that stunt looks like it hurt, and then the character later on acts like the fall 
affected him in some way or another. You know the old classic bar fight scene in the movie where, like, you know, if you took a few shots to the face that some of these guys do, you wouldn't be getting up, you know? And 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 they're like, you know, and Patrick Swayze's just kicking ass in Roadhouse in that way. Um, not that I'm m- m- making fun of Roadhouse because it's an uh, awesome we, movie. We, but, don't, we don't speak poorly of Roadhouse. But I mean, you but you know, you understand where I'm coming from. Where right. there's so yeah. many there's so many scenes where somebody's somebody should be injured and they're just kind of. You know, you're walking away with like, like you know, like just but a scratch. Um, yeah, yeah, no, nobody in a bar fight actually uh, loses until they get they get that cut on the side of their lip. Yeah, <laughs> so that's when they, they dab with the back of their fist. That's when the fight's over. You know, that's how it starts, and that's how it ends usually. But, but, uh, but yeah, well, we got we got to see him, you know, field dress and sew up his his wound, mm-hmm. and he's hurting. I mean, he is hurting after that. Yeah, you know, to the point that even when he's. Uh, after Galt, when he when he goes and he takes Galt's coat and he tries to surrender, and they start shooting at him, you know he's he's having a hard time moving in the open. He's in mm-hmm. he's in the, the wide open. Yeah. And if these guys are any kinds of shots, they should be able to probably at least hit him. But you know he's but he because he's not moving real fast after that. And he and again Rambo can, continues to get the the crap beat out of him through the the length of the film between you know the mine being dropped on him and the rats and oh the rats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, rats. the rats is uh, that that's a that's a really really well well done scene as well. Because uh, I mean, first of all, the movie's beautifully shot. They take full advantage of the scenery that they had, and um, for something that was on you know that sort of budget, they they do a good job of it. Although um, there were a couple of points where I was like, I was pretty sure this was shot in Canada because I saw you know like. And I, I swear I'm like one of the few people who would spot this where I saw an SO sign and I'm like, that's not yeah. – that's that's like in the United States, it was like either Exxon or Amico or something. Um, it, it, again, not something you take out, takes out of the movie, but you're just like, oh, OK, they shot this up north probably to save a little bit of money than than shooting in Oregon and Washington. But uh, yeah, it's, it's beautifully shot and um, well cast and they have enough pathos in it to – to have an ending that if because that speech is risky to do in the movie not because of the not because of the point he's making but because it can come off very cheesy yeah um if the if it's not done the right way right. and stallone stallone pulls it off because yeah well that, and yeah and, and you're right because i i think that gets back to the point we were kind of talking about earlier that there's a lot of sincerity in this performance. Mm-hmm. He he had a hand in writing it. You get the feeling that a lot of what he's channeling, he really believes. It's not it's not somebody playing a role that he really believes a lot of this of what he's saying. So it, it comes off as very even as he's having kind of his nervous breakdown. Again, it plays into the. This is not a realistic film. No, it's up to the. But it does have an aura of realism. Mm-hmm. And there, there is a realism here. It, it's kind of a a a, um, a uh, and, and how do I explain this? It's kind of not not like a, a hyper realism, but sort of like a a hyper actualized realism. It has its own kind of version of reality that it sticks to. Yeah, and it works on on that level. But there, but there's an emotional depth to it and a lot of humanity that this uh, Stallone's performance of that scene sells it completely. Yeah, because. Because he and and uh, you know the director uh, allow is uh, is to credit for this. They allow this as a film to happen, 
you know, where, where it's just, it's this, this film is sort of an experience. You're following this experience. The events sort of happen as opposed to you're being kind of pushed along. And it's very restrained in many regards. And that's why that, that scene at the end, the speech at the end has the impact that it does mm-hmm. because it was never, it was never over the top. Um, you know, it's, it's not, it is not the end of Rocky four. And it's not the end of over the top either. Yeah. Right? No, no, no. <laughs> but, uh, well, and, and you know what they, they did shoot the, an ending with, with Rambo dying mm-hmm. where Troutman is sent in. And at the end of his impassioned speech, he says, you've got a gun back there, don't you? And Troutman pulls a gun out and, uh, Troutman can't bring himself to kill his creation. And so Rambo grabs a gun, jams it into his stomach, and pulls the trigger himself. Yeah. And the story goes from Kotcheff that they did a screening of that. And he said that they had the everybody on the edge of their seat the whole time. The audience is, you know, really into it, riveted by the story, and they're really invested in it. And then he said after after Rambo pulled the trigger, he said the whole place where well, you could hear a pin drop. It got so silent. He goes, and in that silence, you heard he said he heard someone say, you know, if the director of this film is here. He should be strung up on the nearest lamppost for that ending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you. Well, and, it, and but... even Stallone, and even Stallone said that he said that one of the reasons why they didn't want to do that ending, he said, you've got this carthritic sort of film with this guy who is he's you know unloading his frustrations and all the 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 torment and the anguish he's had to go through as a veteran since he came home. He says, and so what are we saying if the only way for him to be redeemed is to be, is to die? Yeah. Yeah. What kind of message is that? And he said, so what he wanted was the ending that they got where that Rambo could be saved. And, and this is what I was alluding to kind of at the top of the show that, that there was love and, and, and respect. And that was what saved him, not more violence. Violence. Yeah, because because like I said, with had it been shot exactly faithful to Morel's novel, it would have made complete sense because the movie the movie would have been essentially like I said, it would have been a suicide by cop sort of scenario where he is killed. Um, I I don't know what the body count is in the original in the original novel, but it's it's most of the people. So logically, it makes sense for him to die in that regard. Here it doesn't, and not only that, you you are really sympathetic toward Rambo by the end of the movie, um, in a way that you feel for the guy, not that you're rooting for him as the hero to overcome the bad guys, because there's not necessarily a bad guy in this uh, in this movie the way there is uh, in in the sequel, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, which which we'll get to in a in a in a second actually so, um, but yeah so I, I'm gonna go to break in a minute so we can talk about uh, talk about that sequel. Um, but your final your final thoughts on First Blood before we before we move along to to Rambo First Blood Part Two. I think a lot of like I think as as we were saying a, a lot of folks forget about the maybe the details of the relative to first blood part two that mean that one was such a hit this one was a huge hit too it mm-hmm, you know it mm-hmm. was one that just stayed and stayed and stayed had a lot of had a lot of legs at the box office but uh you know from from a straight just action thriller adventure film it's it is it's fantastic just i i just had a a, a great time just sitting down and re-watching this again it's eminently watchable it holds up well the performances are just great across the board and then taken as a uh, a Vietnam War film, 
again, not what you'd normally think of with the, you know, the, the, the full metal jackets and the platoons of this world. But I think it, it, it has a unique perspective on that in that, like I said, it, it not only has uh, a very personal humanistic kind of view of the war, uh, but also has an ending that, you know, is, is a little bit different than a lot of the, the other films uh, that deal with the Vietnam War. So it, I think it has something to stay and Stallone does a, a good job of saying it. So I, I think it's totally worth checking out. I think if you haven't seen it in a while or, you know, God forbid, you've never seen it. Check this one out. It's 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 a it's it's a heck of a film. Yeah, and I yeah, and I, I agree. It um it has that that post war thing that a lot of the movies about the war, with the, except like I said, the exception is probably a movie like The Deer Hunter or Coming Home or something. But but the sort of years down the road feeling um, that 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 not as many movies about the war, at least at the time, were, were really getting into and really capturing as well. As it was, so it's it's of its time, but at the same time, it doesn't feel dated in the way that uh, other movies of the era certainly would. And you're right; I mean, everything you said, I, I completely agree with. It. It's it's very well acted. It's an incredibly tight movie, um, 92 minutes. It's it's not very long, and and that really, really, it really benefits. It doesn't really need to be any longer than it is. Uh, it's well shot, um, and uh, and it is, it's a great movie to check out, and it's one of those movies that um, I think that, like you said, if, if you've never seen it, you should just track down the DVD or the Blu-ray or see if you can find it for streaming somewhere and, and uh, go ahead and, and rent it for a night. Mm-hmm. So uh, what I'm going to do is take a quick break. Uh, when I get back, Luke and I are not done. We are going to talk briefly about uh, what became a pop culture phenomenon in 1985, which was the sequel to this film, and that is Rambo First Blood Part 2. So we'll be right back. Beyond the scope of man's imagination. 
Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which at this very moment still prevails and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi folks, Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters? Or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman, or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at twotruefreaks.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. June 69. Accepted special forces. Helicopter and language qualified. Expert in light weapons and guerrilla warfare. Sylvester Stallone is back as Rambo. Rambo's the best combat vet I've ever seen. His mission, to locate American POWs in Vietnam. Think you'll find someone? POWs? Doubtful. His orders, not to engage the enemy. He's got 36 hours to complete the mission and reach the extraction point. We're going down! You're not going anywhere. I'm telling you to abort. Double-crossed and left behind enemy lines. You're the one who's making the mistake. Yeah, what mistake? Rambo. And now, he's getting out any way he can. Rambo. What most people call hell, he calls home. No man, no law, no war can stop him. Sylvester Stallone is back. As Rambo. First Blood, Part 2. And we're back. So, um, like I said, First Blood made $47.2 million at the box office in 1982. And uh, 
a sequel was eventually called for and released, and that is Rambo First Blood Part Two. This movie also has a little bit of a story behind its uh, behind its production, although not as intricate and development hell worthy and all that of, of the first one. But the original script, and I believe the final script was written by James Cameron and Cameron's script floated around Hollywood before it eventually got made into Rambo. And two people who picked it up were Menachem Golan and Yoram Globus, and they passed on it. And, because they were not because they didn't didn't like it or didn't think it was going to be a hit, but because they just didn't want to spend the money on the script to pay Cameron for it, and right. you know because Stallone because they and they immediately ripped it off and went out and made a movie called Missing in Action starring Chuck Norris. In fact, they made two movies at this almost at the same time, and um, something that I will eventually is supposed to sit down with Rob Kelly and talk about. Uh, they made Missing in Action, Missing Action to the beginning, but had decided that Missing in Action was the better movie because Missing in Action, what you know, Missing in Action two was supposed to be released first. They yeah. flipped the order, so Missing in Action two became a prequel, and Missing in Action pretty much is <laughs> it is Rambo starring Chuck Norris, mm-hmm. but way more racist. <laughs> and yeah. Just and on such a cheap budget. Rambo First Blood Part 2 um, has a plot. Uh, it's yeah. bi- <laughs> It opens with Rambo literally breaking rocks in a prison yard. Yeah. Which this was my impression when I was a kid. This is what my impression of prison was going to be like was. I yeah, thought when, this and Superman 2, right? Yeah, I thought in prison <laughs> you went and broke rocks. And then um, – and Troutman comes and visits him and gets him released because they have a mission for him. He has – there are POWs or MIAs uh, in Vietnam supposedly and they have spotted a camp and they want him to do recon. He's not supposed to take any action. He is essentially on a surveillance mission. But he is the only man that Troutman knows, of course – who can get it where they need to go, take the pictures and leave uh, because the Vietnamese government denies that there's anybody there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Of course he, he, uh, he has to go in essentially under, you know, he can't exactly, you know, fly into Vietnam. He has to go in through the back door. Uh, he teams up with uh, a woman whose name I can't remember off the top of my head. And, um, Cobal, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And they, they go in, but instead of, but essentially, instead of, um, just taking the pictures and, and getting out, uh, they decide to. The, he essentially ends up um, mounting a rescue mission, right? And it becomes, it has become the iconic embodiment of an '80s action movie as a result because it's. Stallone. There's the famous scene of Stallone knifing up and headbanding up, and it's just it, it goes from the pathos of the first one to just all out balls out screaming action of what we would come to expect from the Rambo movies. Um, I had only seen this once prior to watching this. I was more partial to Schwarzenegger, yeah, back in the day, and I watched Schwarzenegger movies. Over and over and over and over again. <laughs> I, I only saw Rambo once, um, and I watched it again. I didn't think it was ridic- as ridiculous as Missing in Action. 
No. Uh, because Missing Action is a ridiculous movie. It's pretty ridiculous, yeah. Uh, despite the appearance of Spider-Man and the Amazing Friends at the beginning of the movie. Yes, but, uh, yes I love that. <laughs> I was just thinking that, too, when you yeah. talked about Missing Action. Well, the, and, and the thing about Rambo is that it is, I mean, it, it well, it, and you left out a crucial aspect. Remember, this is 1985. Yeah. Right? So, who is arming and training all these Vietnamese soldiers Oh, yeah, the Russians. <laughs> the Russians. Because ultimately, that's who the bad guy is in that yeah, yeah. America. It's the Soviet Union. You know? Yeah. And it, to the point that they have a hind helicopter at one point, or it's it's not actually, it's, it's, it looks like a hind. It's not an actual hind helicopter. You couldn't get those to shoot with mm-hmm. <laughs> in the West in 85. But um, yeah, so it, I mean, I, this is one that I remember watching uh, a couple of times when I was a kid. And, and, I, and I have this one on DVD as well. And I, and I really do like this one. But it's one that you almost don't need to watch it. Because if you've seen it once, you remember all the good parts anyway. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I remember First Blood Part 2. It's like, yeah, I know that one. And and so you almost don't need to watch it, but, you know, and, and it's not, again, it's not like where if you only know the broad strokes, you're missing out on the subtlety, because there really isn't any. No. There, there's really not. And and that's not a criticism. It's a simply a statement of fact. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, Stallone um, interjected some of the politics into the script, and he, uh, he, he talks about that he wanted uh, Troutman to have kind of a a right wing viewpoint and to contrast this with, uh, with Rambo being kind of in the middle and being neutral about the whole mm-hmm. thing. But ultimately, and, and then this, you know, his, his speech at the end about, uh, wanting America to love its soldiers and all that. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's not, it, it, it's not the same level of drama or even emotional investment as we get in the first film. But at the same time, you can't help but cheer for him as he's mowing down people. You know, and, uh, you know, stabbing people in the back and all that. So it's like, you know, he's he's a badass. And and ultimately, especially at that point in the 80s, that's what our hero, that's what our action heroes were. They were badasses, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And this is almost like a, a trio of movies that had us against the Russians. And it was explicitly Russians. Um, Red Dawn mm-hmm. having come out in 84. Wolverines. Um and, and and another Stallone movie and Rocky Four. I mean, Rocky Four. My friend, I think it's just a almost. My friends and I used to joke about this in college, and I think it's just kind of a common acceptance that Rocky Four ended the Cold War. And yeah, um, we all know that, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> but like, it's just interesting to me because uh, a year after Rambo, Top Gun would come out, and at the end of Top Gun, at the beginning of Top Gun, they encounter a couple of Migs, and at the end of Top Gun, they have a have a firefight with a couple of Migs. They never explicitly say Russians mm-hmm. in Top Gun. It's just the other side. And, and I always thought I'm like, I, I love, I, I like Top Gun and I like just, I just think it's fun and everything. But I, I've always been, I've always found it interesting how, um, an incident like that at the end of Top Gun is almost like another, uh, how that didn't spark a war is right. beyond me. That's like a Gulf of Tonkin incident. It's like, no, 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 no. Like you actually like, you know, um, cause there were, there were some incidents in the mid eighties. Uh, I remember with Libya was being one of them, uh, that, you know, didn't push us to the brink of, of war, but and things got very, very heated at times. But by the end of 86, you have Gorbachev's fully in power and, and there is this push 
toward much more cooling between the United States and, and Russia, and, you know, or the cooling of the of the relation. Uh, Warming of relations, and I think, yeah, it's more positive, as opposed to even just a couple of years prior, when when you know the threat of nuclear war and the threat of a you know things were more elevated. But you're right; I, I can't believe I forgot the Russian thing because it just I just picture basically Rambo just doing his thing throughout this whole movie. I had forgotten most of the plot when I what plot yeah, there and, is. And, well, and it is the plot is is not. You know, it's and 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 that's and I and again I and I want to make this clear. I don't mean that as a criticism. You know, film can exist for many different reasons, and oh yeah, ultimately Rambo: First Blood Part Two exists so that we can refight the Vietnam War and win. Mm-hmm. And oh yeah, given the context of not only the what was going on as far as the Cold War, the the the, the heating up of that, and the the real kind of fears. I mean, see, 1985, my mind always jumps and. This is an Earth Destruction Directive moment to Godzilla 1985, mm-hmm. or if you prefer, Return of Godzilla, which just came out on Blu-ray as we're recording this, where the the the, the argument between the Americans and the Russians about using nuclear weapons is a major point of the film, and in the American cut of that, we have a a Russian character desperately trying to launch a nuclear missile before he dies, whereas in the Japanese cut, he's trying to stop the launch of an automated huh, missile. After interesting. Yeah, it was it was a little bit of uh, new world uh, new world pictures uh, U.S. propaganda, but I said between that, like you said, and missing in action, and uh, you know Rocky Four, which I'm a huge fan of, mm-hmm. you know, so it, it, you know, it's it that's that was what we that was what we wanted. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a I'm a you mean you know me, Tom. I'm a big I'm a big Reagan guy. That was mm-hmm. Reagan's America in 1985. Oh, it definitely it's, was. Damn right that if, you know there was this uh, attitude that. You know, if Reagan had been president, we'd have we'd have gone in and kicked the, the the VC's ass in Vietnam, and so that that was what we were. It was it was it was bigger, faster, stronger, more explosions, more. It was it was the eighties, yeah. And in a lot of ways, First Blood is is a representation of nineteen eighty five in such a perfect way that it's it's hard to find fault with it. I mean, it's it, it's not a not an intelligent movie by any stretch, but it's not a it's not a dumb movie. It's well made. It's well shot. It's it's fun as hell to watch. I wish I could have been fifteen and gone and seen it in the theater, you mm-hmm. know. But I mean, obviously, I was five, so that wasn't happening. So I had to watch it on a home video, like a normal five year old. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and like I said, um, yeah, Gorbachev just doesn't. I think Gorbachev. Just- Gorbachev got taken became the power in 1985, and prior to that, between Brezhnev and Gorbachev, um, if you know anything about Soviet history, it's this rotating door, revolving door of Soviet premiers like Andropov and a couple other people who were essentially generals uh, because they couldn't stay alive. You know, they, they kept dying or, or getting you know or deposed or whatever, and and that. Tension was was rising toward the end of the seventies with um, with Afghanistan, and um, as much as our uh, sanctions and our political push on them and aggressiveness through Reagan undid them, their prolonged war in Afghanistan undid them as well. You know, uh, their uh, Afghanistan was the Soviet Union's Vietnam, essentially. I mean, they just they I don't think they expected it to be what it ended up being. And their economy was already pretty shaky. And it just it it drained them in a way that that wasn't really revealed until 
things kind of came crashing down at the end of the 80s. And then, you know, Gorbachev was pushing the, things in that direction through the late 80s because, you know, with Glasnost and Perestroika, because he really had no other choice. Right. Um, and, and, you, and the thing about Afghanistan, it's like the old joke that Gallagher used to tell, you know, it's like, you know why there was no divorce in the Soviet Union? It's because there was no empty apartments to move into. <laughs> so, so they took Afghanistan because it looked good to them. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. And, uh, you're, but you're right. It's like you know that the 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 amount of th- things happened were happening so quickly, and yeah. and the situations were changing so quickly that that this real like I said those films and like I said Rambo and Rocky Four to me are are the the perfect encapsulation of it that just show this era. So mm-hmm. much, and show the our attitude as a nation at this time. You know, things you know, we you know after coming out of uh, the late seventies, coming out of the malaise and the Carter administration, and then suddenly everything is turning around. And you know, it, it, it's but but at the same time, there's this ever present threat that we could you know all be uh, vaporized in thermonuclear war any minute. Yeah, you know, so it was it was a it was a it was a time of of great optimism but also a lot of fear at the same time so you wanted these larger than life military-based heroes i mean we're both gi joe fans this oh yeah is where it came from you know oh, yeah. 1983 was the or 19, me, 1982 was the first year of gi joe a real american hero and that's mm-hmm. that's i mean rambo's essentially the first live action gi joe film if he had a few more people with him you know yeah maybe some hardware to, you know and a bad guy wearing a hood i mean but you know it, you can't have it all oh yeah <laughs> I mean, to no. the point that, uh, and I'm a big fan, they, they turned Rambo into a cartoon series. <laughs> not something i ever actually watched oh i um, watched hell out of Rainbow <laughs> freedom and, and and i and i just and and i just remember like having seen this this was an r-rated movie that got a toy line and a cartoon mm-hmm. i don't think that's ever happened before or since at least aimed at little kids i mean there are r-rated movies that have gotten toy lines now but they're named or the, the only the adult only collectors Came out in that a little bit after that was in the nineties. We did the the Kenner aliens and the yes. toys, and okay. those were that didn't get a cartoon, but only because the cartoon didn't get picked up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were trying to make a cartoon. It did have the toy line though. Um, what let me was really quickly aside about Rambo: The Force of Freedom. Okay. Um, first off, this 
this, like I said, this show was my brother and I love this show. And I, I sent the picture into the chat before we got on of mm-hmm. my Rambo thermos because I had the Rambo lunchbox, the last metal lunchbox made by thermos. Yes. Was the Rambo one. It was a green uh, camouflage. It had Rambo on the front with all the, uh, so, uh, you know, the, 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 the Russian equipment and stuff that he was mm-hmm. fighting. And the thermos is red and it's got him with his bow and arrow in the, the uh, you know, taking aim at somebody. Um, but, uh, my brother and I, this show used to be on at 7 a.m. on channel 11, mm-hmm. WPIX in New York. And, uh, what we would, we had a game that we played every morning. This is that, this is going to speak to the level of writing on this show. Okay. <laughs> there was an animated sequence that was stock animation that they would use. And it was based on the scene again from, from first blood part two of him tying on the bandana and knifing up and all that. Yeah. And, my brother and I had a game where this happened once an episode, and when it happened, we had to go over to the television and press the volume, one of the volume buttons. And this old, this was an old TV where when you pressed the volume button, it would bring up the channel and then the time, mm-hmm. right? And so this became known as the 721 situation because this happened. My brother, he had 721. That was his time. And if it was 721, he would win. I had all the other minutes in the half an hour. <laughs> and my brother won time and time and time again. Yeah. And it's like he won almost every single day. 721. That's when he would put it up. Every now and again, I might get 720 and I'd win or 722. But nine times out of 10, 721. That's when he tied on the bandana and got ready to go beat up General War Warhawk and the rest of the forces of Savage. That were the bad guys on that show. The the toy line, the interesting thing about the toy line was that they were they were taller than G.I. Joe's, but smaller than um like 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 a one six G.I. Joe. They were about uh-huh. like eight inches. Really like about seven inches or so. About the size of maybe the He Man toys? They were they were taller even than Masters of the Universe. They were okay. closer the closest thing I could ever put them to is probably Amigo, but I never had any Amigos. Maybe like the Thundercats or something like that. Yeah, they were about the size of Thundercats. That's okay. a good 80s comparison. Savage is attacking! Once we take this business, I know we'll rule the world, General Warhawk. We need Rambo! Rambo for some freedom! Here's a present, Havoc! Wow! Rambo, he are you? Rambo and General Warhawk with their battle action weapons, each sold separately. And each one had they they usually they had like an action feature on the backpack. Mm-hmm. Like one there were a couple of different versions of Rambo. One had one where you pushed it and it was like a uh, a little um, gear that would swing the flamethrower around. I remember General Warhawk had a spring-loaded um like he had a he had a sword you would pull the string and it would launch it off a spring and one of his guys had like a spring-loaded shotgun that would spin around for him to shoot so they were a heck of a lot of fun we we had a bunch of the toys too so we were all into this they were they were too big to play with the gi joes but they still yeah had fun, so <laughs> you ever you ever see that old saturday Night live sketch with dan Aykroyd as the toy guy and he has johnny switchblade action punk that's exactly what i a bag of glass. <laughs> yeah, the bag of glass. And your oh, your contains glass. Yeah. yeah. Your description of um 
the 721 moment reminds me of another cartoon that was popular right around the same time, which was Voltron. Yes. Because they use that they, whenever they form Voltron, it was the same animated sequence. And even and, and and thirty years ago, I didn't care. I was like, that was like the highlight for me. You know, yeah. I was like, when are they going to form Voltron? And I never thought of when it happened in the episode. But I, you probably could have played the same game with an episode of Voltron. Oh yeah, That's, I mean, you know, you got to make sixty-five of these. You know, yeah. <laughs> so, well, I think, oh, my, I think it was Mike Bailey. And this is this is you'll know what I say. He's compared at least Voltron. He never mentioned the Rambo cartoon in this in this context. He's compared it to like the cartoon version of like a porn movie, where there's all the crap that you have to watch to get to the scene that you want to watch. Right. <laughs> and then there's the what they refer to as the money shot. And it's like if you if you think about it along this, like yeah, it's actually kind of like that. Where it's like yeah, I can fast forward through all the drive. I just want to see the the robot fight the the other beast or Rambo kill the you know go after the guy. Um, yeah. And then there was Rambo three, and I've never actually seen Rambo three or the um, Rambo was the name of the yeah, other. Yeah. Rambo was the name of the fourth one. I, it, and and I'll say this: Rambo three. Unfortunately, unlike First Blood and First Blood Part Two, has not aged well. It mm-hmm. is way too much a product of its time, and and we and I mentioned earlier that situations were changing rapidly. Yeah, uh, this is a film that famously, you know, uh, gives props to the Taliban in, <laughs> in credit because at the time they were our allies. Right? Oh they yeah, were, yeah, they, yeah. Oh, we know, armed them. Fighting. Right, we armed them. I mean, they were they were fighting the, the the Soviets in Afghanistan, so they call it the Mujahideen. I mean, mm-hmm. and this wasn't the only one. I mean, The Living Daylights does the same damn thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I remember The Living Daylights. But, uh, you know, so un- unfortunately, Rambo 3 is, again, it's one that, I mean, I've seen it more on, like, USA Network. It used to be one they would show a lot in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And I own it, and I think I've watched the DVD once. But, yeah, it's, my biggest memory of Rambo 3 was the Sega Genesis video game, which huh. was a hell of a lot of fun. And was uh, we we were you know we we got uh, Genesis uh, we were uh, we were uh, first wave Genesis owners so that was one of the ones that came out either at launch or shortly after mm-hmm. and it was a kind of an overhead kind of you know isometric uh, view where you were running you had you know your gun and you could uh, either knife people or set bombs or yeah. shoot your, uh, your your arrow and it was a lot of fun and I played the hell out of that game but it's like you know it didn't translate to the mo- to the movie because the movie's just is is to me is I mean it's it's all right for what it is but I'm never going to choose to watch that. Mm-hmm. The fourth one actually is is really good. Okay. But it I don't know that it has much to say. It's it's just like this it's a very violent uh very does not shy away very center uh, cinema verite in a lot of ways in its depictions of you know gun violence. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's good and it's exciting but I you know it it kind of lacks the the heart of the of the first one, especially, and even kind of the the um, uh, you know like like ridiculous perfection of the second one. I mean, it's it's good. And it's definitely worth watching. It's a lot better than three, but it's it's just an odd movie to describe, you know, because it he's he's living on his own in in the you know the jungles is not the jungles like a like in Southeast Asia. Uh-huh. These kids are coming in as missionaries, and they get taken over by the warlord. He's got to go and. You know, go go shoot a bunch of people and all that. So it's good and it's it's yeah. worth watching, especially if you like if you like you know Rambo, 
first blood mm. part two you'll like rambo just plain uh, adjectives adjectiveless rambo i guess yeah they were gonna call it john rambo like they did with rocky, rocky balboa. balboa yeah they should have just done that because now it's just confusing because you yeah. you go first blood then first rambo first blood part two then rambo three then rambo which and rambo three suffers from a math error yeah because <laughs> it should have been rambo two yeah, At least Rambo. when they made the when they made Alien Three, they called it Alien Three and not Aliens Three. Right. Um, it's well. Are you familiar at all with the Wonder Boy series of games? Uh, rings a bell, but there was well. First, the first game was called Wonder Boy, and it was it was a a platform uh, like a like a like a, a jump on head type of platform game. Okay, and it was made by Hudson. But then, uh, but but or or no, excuse me. It was it was was it Hudson? Well, whatever the software company was, they they licensed it to Hudson, and Hudson ended up making Adventure Island. Adventure Island is Wonder Boy, just with a palette swap for the hero. Okay. But then the sequel to Wonder Boy was called Wonder Boy in Monsterland, and that took it out of being like a like a South Seas Island thing to being like a Fantasy Kingdom thing. Mm-hmm. And so they would make sequels to Wonder Boy, and sequels to monster land that didn't have wonder boy in it so at one point there's it's, it's like a game it's like wonder boy 3 monster land 2 <laughs> it's the same game and it's like what i, I feel like the rock what you know so, <laughs> you know, um, or or if you prefer like boggy creek you know there's yeah there's boggy creek and then then legend of boggy creek and then boggy creek 2 because he's like well i didn't like that one so I'm just going to ignore it. Or, and this, I blame this one on Paul Spataro because of the, <laughs> the episode of Is It Jaws about Jaws that he did with Rob Kelly. That apparently, during the early hype for Jaws the Revenge, Universal sent out a promotional piece that called Jaws the Revenge uh, the final part of a trilogy trying to ignore that just D had happened just like the rest of us. <laughs> but but Jaws 3D has that great scene of like daddy daddy look at the big fish. <laughs> <laughs> I love the I love the completely immobile shark moving towards the glass. That's my I, favorite bit. Maybe that's an obvious choice, you know. <laughs> and, and Leah Thompson. But um, oh, Leah Thompson. Yeah. <laughs> Between I, that, every Back to the Future movie, mm-hmm. and and of all movies, Space Camp, but um, <laughs> but uh, I believe that, and I I want to say that there was a Rambo game that LJN put out for the it was maybe it was the it was probably the NES by then, unless it was with it was a, a later game for um, in television or one of those systems. But I want to say it was an NES game, um, because I I can. I close my eyes and I can see like a comic book ad for it mm-hmm. in early, but I'd, I'd have to, I'd have to look that up and I probably should have done my research before going yeah, on there. there. Well, there was a, yeah, there was a, uh, an NES game. There was also a Sega master system game mm-hmm. for, for, for Rambo. The cover of this is a classic one of him holding the, the M60. Yeah. 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 It was a, a side scroller there. And there want to say that the one, that there was also one for uh, that, that I want to say that there was two games possibly for the Master System. Maybe I'm getting two games mixed up. There was one that was kind of like Operation Wolf, uh-huh. where you were just scrolling front ways and you were shooting, you know, at this at the screen. So I, I maybe that's I, that might be the one. Let me look here on Wikipedia real quick. Okay. Let's see. 
No, no, no. It's the then I'm I don't know which one I'm thinking of then. But yes, they they did have them for the. I mean, it's a perfect setup for a video game. It is lots it of is. people to kill, you know, and all that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Anyway, well, well, thank you. Uh, thanks again for for coming on. Um, before you go, please tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, yeah, no problem. Uh, and first of all, thank you very much for having me on. This was a lot of fun to to revisit Rambo. Yeah. Um, both from a, a standpoint of First Blood being just a fantastic movie, but also the opportunity to talk about First Blood Part Two and the Force of Freedom and everything else. So I <laughs> yes. appreciate that. Um, my main home on the internet is uh, Earth Destruction Directive, which is a Daikaiju podcast, which is uh, a part of the Two True Freaks network. So if you found this episode on twotruefreaks.com, you can also find uh, Earth Destruction Directive, which I talk about Japanese giant monsters. And uh, I also am a member of the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, also on Two True Freaks. And that is our resident horror podcast that I do along with Chris Honeywell, the hair metal hero Chris Tyler, and my brother Jason Jackanetti. Right now, we are currently working two series. We are working through the Nightmare on Elm Street films, which have been requested for a long, long time from our listeners. And we've also started up a series of Hammer uh, horror films. We've uh, done The Curse of Frankenstein, and as of this recording, we've also done the horror um, horror of Dracula and more classic gothic horror films coming from Hammer on the vault as well. And uh, I also have a, a almost never updated Hawkman blog, uh, which is Being Carter Hall, which you can find at beingcarterhall.blogspot.com uh, if you want to uh, read my thoughts about DC's Winged Wonders, Hawkman and Hawkgirl. Uh, which I'm a big fan. So uh, if you enjoyed hearing me uh, yammer on, you can go hear me yammer on somewhere else. All right. Well, thank you very much. Um, I will be back in a couple of weeks with, well, the nom never did have Rambo, but it had the closest thing that Marvel could provide. And that's the Punisher. And we will be covering the first part of the second Punisher storyline in the next episode. So until then, thanks again for listening and take care. reached the end of another episode of In Country. All stories and characters are copyright Marvel Comics, and all other media referenced are copyright their respective copyright holders, and are used for review and illustrative purposes only. Feedback can be sent to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com, and you can follow the podcast at facebook.com slash incountrypodcast. Show notes and extras can be found at popcultureaffidavit.com. This podcast is a proud part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which is a division of the Demanzacor of Milan, Italy. Please support this podcast and all the other Two True Freaks podcasts by using the Amazon.com link at twotruefreaks.com anytime you shop. It costs you no extra money, but really helps us all out. Thank you for listening, and join me next time for the latest chapter in the saga of The Nom.